For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Ricardo. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Caro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And we are keeping score. Well, the Super Bowl coming pretty quickly, and the bottom line is this is a trade show for all of sports business. Even though the event may generate half the economic impact it usually does for Tampa Bay, generate a lot of awareness because of one Tom Brady, and also the first time an actual Super Bowl is played in a team's home stadium in 55 years. And so it's a big deal for everybody, but it's also big to shepherd some of the coming back of sports. So let's deal with all of the issues. Three to one. Three. David and Victoria Beckham paid themselves 14.5 million euros or nearly 40,000 for every day of the year following the strong performance of the former soccer gods image right sales. The Guardian reported that the couple's total dividends in 2019 were up 3.4 million on the previous year. 2019 accounts are the latest available, but they note the couple also collected an additional $7 million in interim dividend payments in 2020. David Beckham Ventures Limited, which manages his brand and partnerships with the likes of Adidas, Hay Club Whiskey, Sands Hotel Group, reported a 600000 increase in annual revenue to $16.2 million over the course of the year. DBVL gave a million to UNICEF the U.N. agency responsible for providing humanitarian support to children across the world, for which David is a goodwill ambassador. The donation knocked the company's pre-tax profits down from $14.8 million in 2019 to $11.3 million in 2018. DBVL includes David's stake in Inter-Miami CF, the Major League Soccer team he co-founded in 2018, is 100% owned by the Beckhams, after they bought out a 33% stake previously owned by the pop idol creator Simon Fuller for $38 million in 2019. That's deal-making issue number three. Two. How about number two? The World Baseball Classic is where baseball gets to spread its wings and take flight, unless air travel's been suspended, that is. Initially planned for the summer of 2020, the WBC was flipped on its head when officials announced it would be postponed until the following year. Now... The WBC has been postponed to 2023. While this decision was made back in May, MLB holds firm in trying to get baseball more TV time and more games in a calendar year. While the World Baseball Classic isn't a mass-distributed sporting event, it's gained traction every time it's been held. With licensing deals alongside, until 2013, the WBC was shown exclusively on ESPN, MLB Network, and Sportsnet. And now... Despite MLB going back to broadcasting exclusively on MLB Network for 2013, total engagement and attendance down from the tourney prior 
781,000 total attendees in 2013, 801,408 in 2009. As a result, MLB worked on its venues and saw a huge jump in engagement. In 17, WBC saw nearly a million people attend with an average attendance of roughly 24,000 per game, the same as selling out 99% of Tropicana Field in Tampa. And that's number two. One. Deal-making issue number one, and it focuses on the NBA. Seemingly weathered the COVID storm better than other pro sports leagues. Compiled and released by SportPro, the average NBA franchise is worth about $2.4 billion, down about 2% as a direct result of the pandemic, based on Sportico's modeling. But currently, the fair market value of the NBA's 30 teams, including ownership stakes in real estate, regional sports franchise networks, and additional team-related holdings is more than $71 billion. Three franchises, Knicks, Golden State Warriors, and Lakers, each worth more than $5 billion. And as far as the uh, Knicks are concerned, not accounting for quality, obviously, at least on the floor. The cumulative revenue for the NBA's 30 teams, $8.3 billion, down from the previous non-COVID-impacted season by nearly 10%. However, National revenues dipped only 2%. That was half full versus half empty. The bottom line is the NBA continues to weather the storm, playoff bubble at Walt Disney World, and otherwise moving in the right direction. Let's go to Enid Viana's Lifestyle Minute. Then we'll do our special interview, which you'll see is some interesting perspective as we get into the Super Bowl. Remember, Enid is the lifestyle expert and wellness writer and editor for two websites, evsocial.com, which covers entertainment, wellness, fashion, and travel, and hamptonsmoms.com, which addresses all things family on Long Island's magical East End. She also contributes content to various magazines and websites, such as Hamptons Magazine and artsugar.com, and follow her on Instagram at hamptonsmoms. She talks about the Super Bowl and other relationships that'll get us international, especially with Valentine's Day coming up. With everything going on in the world today, we're still finding solace in sports. No bigger news than Tom Brady and those bucks in the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl overshadowed by COVID testing, social distancing, and the new normal fans can enjoy watching a part of history being made. Only the second time the Buccaneers will have made it, uh, and they won it in 2002. And what about Brady at the helm? Well, we can't wait to watch. Obviously, a big deal. And I think we can all agree that TikTok has taken the social media world by storm. has over a billion daily users and the digital storytelling landscape as well by creating dances that millions must mimic weekly. It's been interesting to watch sports teams and companies and how they trend on TikTok, namely KissCam, known for the last 35 years as the company that brings you the kiss or diss on the Jumbotron when you attend a sporting event. KissCam brings in hundreds of thousands of views each day on the platform, which tells me people are hungry for that fan-to-fan connection and vibe. Say what you will about social media, but I think there may be an opportunity to save us all throughout the pandemic. If you can be at the stadium, watch a TikTok video showcasing a fun fan kiss moment, Remember kissing? Remember sitting next to people in a stadium, waiting to see who gets on the Jumbotron? Well, me too, she says. Thanks, Kiss Cam and TikTok, for keeping our mind in the game 
and hopefully to the future. That's Enid's Lifestyle Minute. Now we really do have a special treat themed around Super Bowl and somebody that you may not know, but you should. His name is Roman Oben. He was born in the Cameroon and moved with his mom to Washington, D.C. when he was just four. He was raised by just his mom who went to night school to earn her MBA. And she, he didn't play organized football until 10th grade. You'll hear a good story behind that moment. Oban played college football at Louisville and was one of the best offensive linemen in the history of the school. Jersey retired. And he didn't allow a sack during the entire 1994 season. It's displayed at Cardinal Stadium, his jersey. He was a third-round pick of the New York Giants, and he played 12 years in the NFL as an offensive tackle. And he won the Super Bowl in 2002 with the Bucks. But he created the Roman Oban Foundation in 2003 and is very active in community outreach with his wife, Linda, a first-generation Haitian-American. He currently serves as the NFL's vice president for football operations, concentrating on youth and high school strategy and college relations. We talk with Roman Oban at the NFL headquarters in New York City. He is a fantastic ambassador for sport and football and the NFL. I give you Roman Oban. So Roman Oban, let's begin by talking about your amazing, incredible, fascinating background. You moved here from, from Cameroon when you were four. Yes. Talk, talk about that. Uh, well, my mom came to the States as a uh, bilingual secretary yeah. and worked for the uh, Cameroon Embassy. And then I think I was 10 months old and then, uh, at the time, and I think and I came over with my uncle a few years after that. Played soccer when you were growing up? Yeah. Well, back then, it was you played rec. There was no travel, no club, yeah. AAU, any of that didn't exist. Uh, I played on Saturdays with the Little Mesh jerseys, and uh, I didn't really play organized. I always wanted to play football. I think I kind of outgrew soccer. I was, They stick you on defense and you have yeah. to stand there and try to <laughs> you know, yeah. keep kids from scoring. Uh, but then when I got to high school is when I started playing football. The rumor has it there was some deception involved in getting your mother to give you permission <laughs> to play. What was the deal? Yeah, so um, we, uh, summer before ninth grade, we went, we went on a vacation. Um, I was in Atlanta with my aunt, and then uh, we came back like the day before Labor Day, and I couldn't actually sign up for football because it, my mom didn't know it's, it started like in August, yeah. the tryouts and all that stuff. So I had to wait until the next year, and she actually didn't want me to play. So um, I remember as a kid watching an old episode of uh, General Hospital like the Luke and Laura days. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to link back to the end of this. So General Hospital, what, so how, how did that relate to football? What, what happened? So there was an episode where someone took a, a sign check, put a, a piece of paper over it, and traced the signature, and then practiced the signature. And so I actually forged my mom's signature from consent um, so that I can play f- organized football. Uh, and so she didn't know that I was playing football until I think someone called her to ask if she could volunteer well, she'd be volunteering this year as a mom, you know, for the concession right. stand for the varsity games because it was JV. Right. And she's like, well, what concession stand? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, your son's on the football team. He's like, no, he's not. And then so we had to have a little discussion. She thought I was going to the library and I was actually going to football practice. So Louisville and Bucks and Super Bowl and the, your history is incredible. But the on-field, off-field dynamic, you're obviously uh, very well academically trained and you understand what it meant to be a successful business person as well. When did that all start? Well, I think just growing up and, you know, having a, growing up with a single mom and, and I learned that you had to have a deeper sense of responsibility to your community and, and, you know, being a foreigner and immigrating from another country, it was all about the work ethic. So 
anyone who's coming from another country knows that it's about that work ethic yeah. and not dishonoring your parents, your grandparents, and, and those kind of things. So I probably didn't grow up having to deal with a lot of the distractions that, you know, quote-unquote American kids have to deal with because I wasn't allowed to yeah. do most of the things that they were allowed to do. Yeah. So, um, and the script was never supposed to be written that I was going to play in the NFL because okay. you, you don't know that when you're nine. Oh, clearly. The reality is um, I knew that if I were to be put in that position, just even as a collegiate athlete, I'd take school seriously, try to get the best grades possibly, and then, and then you know, getting drafted, obviously, it was going back to that having a deeper sense of responsibility, doing charity work, and, and just using your platform to do good things. And I, and I would say most athletes do the good things. Well, we'll talk about the, 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 the specific good things uh, that you're doing with your foundation. But at that fork, it's clearly not just people who are born in other countries and a sense of, of what they need to do to overcome or not. It's professional athletes or athletes who feel empowered and entitled versus ones that are a little more balanced. So advice for the kids that are out there who realize that uh, you know we could be we couldn't be what's the path to success as far as keeping the focus well it, it's hard to and i think going back to the third world country work ethic thing it's that's obviously my story and i yeah. took ownership of that but you still have to take ownership of your own narrative you still have to um uh, work for things not expect them um no matter what opportunities your parents provide you i think as a parent you have to be realistic with your kids about their expectations i think that's where you start to just build confidence in kids and and the things that you learn in football you know the whole getting knocked down and getting picked back up again like if you really believe that in life if you really practice that like you actually be a lot more successful than people who weren't uh, a part of that right those now type of sports now you come full circle now you're pro uh super bowl champion college all of that and you're inside the nfl as the vp of youth and high school football what was appealing to you to take this and, and, and kind of what are your responsibilities today? Well, back in, uh, you know, 2010, 2011, I'd been out of the NFL for, for a couple of years at that point. I was doing a lot of things in the community. I was coaching my kids. Yeah. Uh, I was starting, you know, flag business and, and trying to, uh, you know, kind of forge my place in the yeah. marketplace. And, and um, I was doing a lot of different things. And then there became an opportunity for me to work at the league office um, to come in as director of player health and safety under in a youth football vertical. And I felt like I selfishly wanted to say, how can I create a better environment for my kids when they get older? Um, because they were playing football and they were in the middle of it, right? Then they were, I had an eighth and a fifth grader at the time. And so um, I saw the discussion was, was inherently negative about football. I knew the, the reality for me about what football did for me and what it still does for a lot of kids, a lot of families, uh, just growing confidence in a kid who couldn't speak English, mm. you know? I mean, I had to... I learned watching Happy Days and Three's Company and all those sitcoms. That's the way you learned English? Well, that was how I practiced. But by the way, you've come a long way since then, <laughs> even too, right? just so you understand. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think there's a narrative, obviously, about yeah. football participation now. But I, I think that the reality is, you know, you have to make the choice uh, about what's best for you at your dinner table, okay. not based on um, a New York Times article or any media article, or any narrative, but like, Make the decision based on what's important for you. Uh, but in 2011, you were faced with having to make sure your kids were growing up right. Yeah. But yet you also saw the numbers, Pop Warner otherwise, the declining participation in youth football. But yet you went further. You tried to create programs to actually build it up, which got the NFL's attention. So what motivated you to actually sit there and do something about it? Well, again, it, it was, I was, uh, again, my kids were younger at the time, and they, they played flag, and, and I felt like the, 
the volunteer dads, so to yeah. speak, so to speak yeah. weren't exactly doing everything the right way. <laughs> and um, it wasn't just enough that I played in the NFL because yeah. I was just a dad at that point. Right. And so if I didn't educate myself, equip myself, learn best practices, learn how people are, uh, how the game is being taught better, coached better, if, if I couldn't be a better mouthpiece for the way football should be in the future for my kids, then I wasn't doing a good job. Is football safer today than it was before? What's your general take on that issue? Uh, football is safer today than it was when at a time that was a lot less regulated. Yeah. Uh, there was no heads up football 20 years yeah. ago. Uh, there were no regulations. There were no heat acclimatization rules. Uh, none of those things existed. And, and football wasn't under the scrutiny that it, that it is yeah. now back then. So, and then from a, just a game development standpoint, you've got a lot of what's called space football. So a lot of spread, a lot of passing, mm. a lot of tackling in space. It wasn't, um, you don't see a lot of just downhill power and ISO and, um, that we grew up on, um, obviously. But I think because the game is played differently, it, it's got to be coached differently. It's got to be taught differently. Um, parents now are a lot more savvy with technology. Uh, you've got to use those things, right? right? Uh, training manuals, uh, updates, and, and all those things are, are ways that parents now can engage uh, with the sport. And I think it, it's going to make the sport better um, despite the discussion. Um, because there's different reasons why the participation decline, not just a safety perception. So anybody connected with the industry, we've all seen it, have been asked by parents regularly, should they let their kids play football? What's, what's your answer? Well, um, I made a decision to let my kids play football. Uh, I think I had a son, my older son didn't play until uh, seventh grade. My younger son played in fifth. Um, he just didn't like a lot of other sports. He wanted to play football, so I, I, I trusted what was being taught. And I think you have to make that decision um, based on what's important to you at your dinner table. Uh, I know that there's a perception of parents are less likely to let their kids play, but if their kids want to play, they're more likely to allow them to play if they want to. And so I think it's really about making sure the parents have the right information and it's not a perception based off of articles or... Yeah. Or, or, or things that are going on with former NFL players. I mean, I, I don't think there's a correlation between uh, a 50, 60-year-old former NFL player and a five-year-old because that five-year-old is going to play a different game than the NFL player did. And that five-year-old may not, may, not, may not play past high school. He may not play past Pop Warner. He might right. play flag. And I think we have to adopt all those things as football. You still have the same number of kids that are engaging in the sport. You still have um, high school participation at over a million uh, okay. participants, that's relatively stable, which feeds NCAA, colleges are still building, adding football teams. I mean, all those things are, are positive, but uh, I think there is a safety perception, there's a safety issue that, that I think we're working together with Pop Warner, with USA Football, with okay. all the NFL clubs uh, to make sure that parents are being educated properly. You look back on your youth football experience, how did it help you in business, in life, in becoming the person you are? Well, my, uh, my wife will tell you that my whole life is like an itinerary. I think that, that's directly <laughs> related to my football career. I think that the structure that football gives you is, is unique. Um, and I think when your day is controlled from wake up till bedtime in training camp, um, but I think it gives you a focus. And, and then you go to college and you're practicing in the morning, going to class, practice again, uh, study hall. I mean, you, you live a whole life like that. Yeah. And so when, when football's over, you want to still create some sort of, some sort of structure in your life. Um, you look on social media, you've got you know, motivational Mondays and all these things that you see. But when you grow up in a locker room, 
it's all character leadership quotes all over the building. It's all buying in. It's all being accountable to the team. And, and that's why a lot of football players, a lot of scholar, student athletes become great salesmen. They become great people in the financial sector, banking, you know, those result-oriented professions. I think you see a lot of athletes that gravitate towards that because it, it creates that sort of accountability and that's either either you win or you lose at the end of the day and there's no in-between. I think that's something that athletes can all take with them, um, that they learn as kids through college and then if you play in the NFL, you've literally lived in a, a whole life of, of learning things that way. Shift gears, but only slightly. So you and your wife, Linda, really committed to philanthropy. You started the Roman, the Open Foundation 15 years ago. Talk yeah. a bit about it. Uh, we started, you know, as a player, my first uh, five, six years in the league, you, you kind of go to everyone's, everyone's charity event, everyone's um, hospital visit, and, and you kind of do a lot of different things. And you lend your name to everything, and then at some point you say, this is what's more important to me. Um, I was born in Cameroon, like I mm -hmm. said, Cameroon, West Africa. My wife's family's from Haiti, and, you know, we thought it was important to really help kids back home like us. Um, and it's not whether or not they're going to be football players because you've got girls, you've got everybody. Um, but it's, it's having, being educated, uh, having uh, the right amenities, you know, books and, you know, having computers. I mean, things that people take for granted here, um, we felt it was important uh, to do that for kids uh, overseas. So the game is in really, really good hands with people like you stewarding it. Robin Oman, thank you very much. Thank you. Really thank you. My pleasure. Obviously interesting perspective and timely as well. He'll be front and center as in, in terms of, of philanthropic youth football as Tampa gets ready to host Super Bowl 55. Well, let's talk about the Sports Tech Minute. Sports Tech firm Shot Tracker received $11 million from Verizon in financing, bringing their amount raised to well over $30 million. Shot Tracker is a data analytics program that helps basketball coaches and personnel, as well as broadcasters, track the game to a T, having sensors and various points to track players throughout the game. Shot Tracker is just one of the many new wave in-depth stat trackers that's hitting the market. Everyone in sports loves to see possible level and dimension of the game, and advanced statistics have exploded. For some sports, such as baseball, the similar program Game Changer has been a mainstay for years. Shot Tracker is already used by more than 40 collegiate basketball programs, and founder David Ross sees it as a growing exponentially over the foreseeable future business plan. Gaining traction and funds, various investors tossed their hats into Shot Tracker's corner. Magic Johnson and the late David Stern were also among those invested. Watch them in the future, and that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, good sports during the pandemic. We'll summarize a lot of these issues, as we always do. Sports helped 46 overcome a physical handicap and, and ascend to the White House. He no they noted that newly sworn in Joe Biden was an undistinguished student, but a stu standard athlete at Archmere Academy in Claymont, Delaware. Skinny kid, one of the best pass receivers in 16 years as a coach. Sports turned out to be my ticket to acceptance as more, <laughs> said Joe Biden. The NFL awards the 2021 Social Justice Grants $4.3 million to inspire efforts to advance social justice. Some NFL players continued to point out the league could, could do more, but the NFL is certainly proud of its existing social justice work. Jeremy Lin, living up to his Lin Sanity nickname, new Santa Cruz Warriors G League signee, announced 200000 in grants toward underprivileged Asian and Pacific youth through his charity. The survey says 
skating is good. The social skateboarding survey conducted by Skatesian and Pushing Borders talks about the survey results as alliances through charitable efforts serves the skateboarding community worldwide. And then finally, Naomi Osaka's social justice activism continues to draw top sponsors. Her estimated 34 million Louis Vuitton tag heure, Osaka's endorsement deals, Rolodex, and otherwise. Workday specifically called out her involvement with BLM as being proactive and using her social platform for change as describing their newest spokesperson as a leading voice in the social justice movement. And that's your Good Sports 5 for the week. Well, next week we head into more Super Bowl all the time, but thanks to Roman Oban, thanks to Enid Viana and and her lifestyle moment, thanks to all of the folks who put this podcast together, thanks for you to listen and watch, and join us next week when we continue to keep school. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.